and welcome to How I Survived This, the totally badass and dramatic podcast where we dive into the good, the not so good, and the totally badass journeys of women in the arts. I'm your host, Heather Corrigan. We're here today to learn about each of my guests' unique journeys from their wins to their darkest hours and all of the dramatic moments in between. On today's episode, we have the honor of sitting down to talk with an actress and bona fide Broadway powerhouse singer. Originally from Miami, she's been acting and singing both off and on Broadway and around the world since the early 2000s. From playing Elphaba in Wicked to originating roles in In Transit and Natasha Pierre in The Great Comet and traveling across the world to star in Prince of Broadway, she has a voice that always makes my jaw drop to the floor and can riff like no one else. Please welcome to the show, Marianne Torres. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome to have you here. I think that uh, as with most people in my life, it has been years since I've seen people that I know and that I worked with or was in class with. Um, But it's been such a long time and it is truly so great to see you. Good to see you too. I think it's been like maybe a decade. Maybe. Oh, God. <laughs> Safe to say. I, I mean, yeah, it's been yeah, a while. I it's been a minute. Right. Yeah. To me, 2013 was like three years ago. That's how I keep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm always like, well, 2000, like 2012, 2013. I mean, it's about a couple of years ago. And I'm like, no, that's a full, it's a full decade. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when you and I were in class, together it was even before then maybe yeah yeah I think like I started taking the that class in like 2009 yeah yeah sure yeah and I like consistently took it for a few years and then kind of stopped but would do like private coachings with with the teacher with Jen but yeah yeah it's it's been a very long time it's been a, a very long time. Well, I'm happy to be back in your uh, orbit. And, and thank you so much for joining us here today yeah. on on this fun podcast. Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Okay, cool. So you, um, you graduated from the University of Miami, but like, did you study theater there or were you yeah. a biomedical engineer? No, God. <laughs> Kind of wish I had been. No, I, know, I don't know. Same. Um, no, I studied musical theater. I got a degree in um, in music in musical theater, but I had not been acting since I was a kid or anything like that. I kind of got into this relatively late, I guess, compared to you know so many actors that have been doing this since they were kids and have had been exposed to musical theater um, yeah. from a very young age. It was sort of a I was a it was a later start for me. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get bitten by the bug, uh, so to speak, a little bit later? Yeah, it wasn't until high school, honestly. Yeah. I, you know, I'm first generation to grow up. I was born in the Dominican Republic, um, first generation in my family to grow up here. Oh, that's um, amazing. Musical theater is not like, musical theater is very American. It's a very American <laughs> art form. So like that was never a thing. And um, I grew up, you know, I loved music, but I don't know. I was never, I was a very shy kid. So like, I never really wanted to perform or anything. I didn't think, I liked singing like along to the radio, but I didn't think it was anything special. I think it just was like, 
oh, like everyone can just sing. Like I didn't think much of it and I was really shy. So there was that. Um, And then it wasn't until high school, until like my sophomore year of high school, that I really, I joined the choir as a way to make friends, as a way to just sort of be in a club because I was like, well, I'm not athletic. I don't really want to like be on the basketball team. I'm not a cheerleader. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I'm not a dancer. So I was like, well, I know that I can like kind of sing. Like people tell me my voice is pretty when I sing Mm -hmm. along to the radio. So maybe I can do that. And um, I joined my choir and my choir teacher was like, oh, you're like pretty good at this. Like you can, you know, and started sort of like helping me kind of get out of my shell a little bit. And then, you know, the other girls in the choir were sort of into Rent and Les Mis. And that was kind of how I was introduced to all of it. And Phantom of the Opera, like, oh yeah, I was obsessed with Phantom of the Opera. Obsessed. <laughs> like I really was just so not self-aware and was like, I'm gonna play Christine Dahe someday, which like if you know me or anything about what I do, Christine Dahe and Phantom of the Opera is not not it. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, that was sort of how I got into it. And then like, you know, going into my senior year of high school, one of my friends from the choir was like I'm going to audition for this musical theater program at the University of Miami. And I was like, that sounds cool. And that was how I made like one of the biggest decisions of my entire life because my friend was doing it. So like based on what your based on what your friends were were doing, that's how you were like, okay, yeah, I, I liked it. Like and I just I hadn't really thought about it as an option to like do it professionally or to not even, I wasn't even thinking that far. Like I was like, I didn't think that that was an option to study in school. Like, right. I mean, I guess I sort of knew I wasn't an idiot. Like I knew you could probably major in music, but like that was so specific, you know, like musical theater. And yeah. So, and at that point I had never even been in a musical. Like I was just doing choir singing in a Catholic school, like singing in mass every week <laughs> in oh just in mass like it wasn't as if it was like an acapella choir that you were doing or you were doing like competitions around Florida we did like maybe one or two my senior year our teacher kind of started getting into it but it was very much a school just school events and stuff you know like yeah. singing in church and we had talent shows and like we'd put on a spring concert but that was it and I there was a drama club in my school but they didn't do musicals um yeah. it's very so, separate in high school draw it drama is and music it's all yeah well, from my experience as well oh yeah I think that's a general thing my husband and I were talking about it he's an actor too and he was very much in drama and he was like yeah I remember there was always like tension between like the choir people and the drama people <laughs> yes yes <laughs> but yeah that was like kind of it I had I just and my my family, my mom was just so incredibly supportive, which I just can't believe, you know, her daughter just is like, who have never done a musical. And I was like, I'm going to audition for this musical theater program. And she was like, okay. <laughs> um, it was all kind of crazy. And like now looking back at it, you know, I was 17, 18 years old and I made this decision that was going to shape the rest of my life Yeah, based on like, I knew I could sing and I really liked listening to these cast recordings. So let's just hope for the best. Hope for and- the best. <laughs> over and over again. Like how many times did you listen to Rent in the car? Oh my God, it was all I did. I can't all. even tell you. Yeah. All the time. 
it is like a part of me. Like I still know every single word to that musical (laughs) and Jekyll and Hyde. Oh yeah. Yeah. But isn't that funny that back then you would listen to everything and now thus many years later, you would still know all the words to that, but I couldn't tell you the words to very many songs that are on the radio. Well, yeah. That are on the radio or not, or like to some of the new musicals too. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Or like things that you've done. Like, I remember every word of Rent and I never did Rent. And if you asked me to sing songs from a show I just worked on last year, I'd be like, uh, like I wouldn't <laughs> remember. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. When you were listening to music as a kid too, this I always find fascinating when you were like, exposed to music as a child did your parents listen to um like what kind of music did they listen to were you singing along with just what was on the radio or were they really into musicals or really into operas or really into um you know their favorite artists it was mostly latin music um mostly in the car with my mom listening to one specific station that played like spanish like power ballads which makes it makes perfect sense now why I got into musical theater because yeah. they're so dramatic and like yeah. so extra. And then I would watch like Spanish telenovelas, like Spanish soap operas with my mom and grandma at home. Mm-hmm. So it was just always like high stakes, high drama, high belting. And I was like, that's literally been my career. <laughs> so <laughs> it really does make sense. Like it really didn't come out of the blue if you think about it. Um, no, it didn't. I mean, you yeah. don't need a resume because it, you were like, well, this started when I was a little kid. And like, basically, yeah, this is, this is how my career has shaped. Oh my yeah. gosh. Telenovelas. Yeah. That, that's so funny. Oh, I could still sing you like theme songs from telenovelas I watched with my grandmother when I was a child. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. I love that your mom and your grandmother were so supportive of you, like pursuing such a nebulous career, uh, yeah. you know, career and then and all the way at the tender young age of 18. I, I can relate to it extremely well. Yeah, I think I, I'm really grateful. I think they both, you know, my grandmother having been from a generation where you just like get married and have kids. If you're a woman, that's what you do. And then my mom also, my mom got married really young and had kids really young and had to really be a a full on adult at a very, very young age. And I think she saw that I found something I loved. And, you know, she went into like, she's a dentist and like it gave her, you know, it, she's able to provide for us, which is amazing. She gave us a very good life because she had a very good job, but I, she wasn't passionate about it. I think it was just like, uh, she was like, okay, cool. Like I can do this and I'll make good money. And, but I think she really wanted us, my brother and I to just like be passionate. And I think for me as a woman, for me to like, not rush to just like, you know, rush into marriage and doing that and just really kind of like fulfill my potential in other ways and, um, and pursue goals and dreams and like travel and, and do the things that she wasn't able to do because she, you know, had a lot of responsibilities at a very young age. Yeah. That's no joke. And it's, it's so wonderful that she was able to see that. Yeah. That's the thing. She was able to look outside herself and see that, which I appreciate. 
because not all parents can. Right, right. Yeah. A lot of times it comes from a, a place of um, wanting what's best for their child, but in a in a way of like, oh no, that that's not secure. And right. We understand that you know it's not, but it's great to be able to say that you know with all of the way that just the world is and the uncertainty of anything and everything that like at least we do love what we do you know right so, right and I think that's really important so you you get in obviously to the mm -hmm. musical theater program of University of Miami and you graduate from this program mm -hmm. did you know all the way through college that you were like yeah this was the right choice. I'm going to pursue this. This is the career for me. Um, you know, yes and no. College was hard because I was so I felt so behind oh, from yeah. everyone else because I got there with all these kids who had been do like I had never heard of the show Guys and Dolls. Like I had never heard of these classics. I'd never I had so much catching up to do. Like really so much catching up to do. And it's so funny that never leaves you, even though now I'm a full adult and I've been doing this for a long time. There's always this weird thing of like feeling like I still have so much catching up to do. And I think that's just stayed with me, oh, wow. um, which is so silly because like I've been making a living doing this for yes. a while. Yes, but, I think so. Yeah, but still it's, um, yeah. So I think in college, I don't know. I was very much like I still always planned to pursue this. And I knew I was good at it. But I also knew I had a lot of work to do. I, like there it was the realization of like, okay, I've got some natural talent and instincts, but like, it's messy. Yeah. <laughs> and right. we got to clean it up. And that's still even after college, that was still a thing for me. And you know, because it's a whole other thing after you graduate college and then you move here and you're going to auditions. And then, then it's like, you're, you know, auditioning with kids who went to these top musical theater schools who are like musical theater robots who just like know exactly what to do and what to say. And yep. so, yeah, I mean, I had moments in college, I think I kind of doubted myself, but I was still pretty like steadfast. Like I knew this was what I wanted. And I specifically remember our senior year, our professor had to sit in a circle. I don't think, I don't know that this was a great exercise for college students or the most encouraging thing, but we can say a lot about college programs. Um, yeah. That's he, a whole other podcast. That's a whole other podcast. It really is. Um, it really is. Yeah. But, you know, he had us each go around and he was like, you have to have a plan B. Oh my and God. Gave, yeah. And I found that, like, I think about it, I was like, that's actually pretty discouraging. I think there's a way to be like, listen, let's be honest. Like if there are other things you like, pursue them as well and cultivate, but I don't know, to just sort of already make you feel like <laughs> you have to find something else to do before you've even started, like before you've even tried. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of people did, you know, panicked and ga gave him an answer they want, he wanted to hear. And I was so stubborn and I was like, no, I don't have one. If I have a plan B, then that's what I'm going to fall back on. And then I'm not going to do this. So I don't have another plan. And he was like, oh, okay, well, I think you will end up being a teacher. And I was like, cool, oh. which is like, there's nothing. I think about it now and I actually would love to teach. Um, yeah. But 
yeah, it's an interesting thing. But yeah, I was pretty stubborn even then. And again, I don't know if I had any business being that stubborn. I didn't know what I was doing. But <laughs> yeah, I think there has to be a bit of stubbornness as you enter this uh, career choice or go- follow your passions, whatever they are in general, because there's no way that you're not going to be met with naysayers for whatever yeah. for, for whatever career choice, um, right. you know, going quote unquote against the grain or doing something that isn't a guarantee. Conventional. Um, yeah. yeah. Conventional. So um, you graduated and did you move to New York right away after yeah. Miami? Yeah. And I had, I had like, was that, <laughs> that was wild. I was very lucky. Um, yeah. Like uh, within a month after graduation, I moved, I, yeah, I graduated in like May and I moved to New York in July. I called some friends. I didn't even know what I was going to do. I called some classmates who I wasn't even that close to, yeah. but I knew, I knew that they were going to make it happen. I knew that they were moving mm-hmm. and I called them and I was like, if you need another roommate, like keep me in mind. And they found, so they, I was actually like on a family vacation <laughs> and they just went to New York for the weekend to look at places and found a place and got a lease and faxed me the lease papers because we were faxing then because it was a long time ago. Yes, yes, we were. Yes, because 2013 we was not yesterday, which is... Which so, means, and yeah, when I graduated college, was definitely was a little before yesterday. 2013. <laughs> <It was a laughs> little... <laughs> oh, God. Um, so, like, I was, like, on some, like, European trip with my family, and they faxed us the lease papers to, like, our hotel in, like, Austria. Amazing. Um, and I'd never seen this place. And... Yeah, I just showed up to New York a month later. We found this house in Astoria that we each paid like $650 for, oh, which is unheard of. That's a um, dream. But it, it was kind of an amazing transition. Most of us were from Florida. It was a it was a four-bedroom house. It was four of us, two levels, like only the kind of thing you can find like in Astoria or Brooklyn or something, you know? Yeah a two level and it had a yard um so it was like an easier transition than moving into like a tiny apartment you know with like as you hear those like apartments in new york with like the shower and the bath and the kitchen and all that stuff like it was a pretty good deal considering what we were paying and it was a very smooth transition from florida um and then it was and then reality hit and it was really hard like, right, right. And so the reality <laughs> was that you were graduated, you had found this great place, but you were in New York City. And uh, this is what I kind of always find so fascinating. Like, when did you have that like, holy shit moment of how am I going to make this is a big thing that I've decided to do? Like, how am I going to make this work? And did that in the first moments after college, did things sort of, you know, take off? Or were you like, uh, okay, here I am and crickets. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was agentless and didn't have, I wasn't part of the union. So, you know, access to auditions is a lot harder that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so my friend and I would look up, you know, on the equity website, what was going on and we would get up really early and stand in line and try to get seen. And some days yeah. there was a day Oh, there was a day that I got up (laughs) so early, like at five in the morning, you know, one of those to get, try to get in this equity call. 
And I was on like number three on the non-equity list. And they started, so they like a couple hours in, they call one person from the non-equity list. And I was like, oh my God, this might happen. This might happen. A couple hours later, they call the second person. And then five o'clock rolls around, bam, they close the audition. Like they saw the two people before me. I had been there. I basically put in a full work day. Like yep. I've been there from nine to five. Yes. Just sitting on a bench. <laughs> yes. Waiting to sing 30 seconds of music. And then I had to like go work my restaurant job that night, you know? Yes. And like, what was what am I doing? And like, this is the reality of it. And it's different when you come from your little, you know, your high school and your college and you're like, you feel very talented. <laughs> and then you come here and you're like, a lot of people are and nobody cares. And damn. Yeah. Yeah. So you worked, I worked in hospitality too. So you worked restaurant, restaurant jobs. I did uh, restaurant. Yeah, I did. I was a hostess a lot. And then I also babysat. Same. Did some temping. Same. Yeah, you know. Yeah. All the <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and how soon after the the early agentless days of, you know, the the long days waiting, did did you get representation first or did you get your equity card first? I got my equity card first. Uh-huh. Um, I got my equity card a year in. So that was really helpful. And I really thought like, this is it. <laughs> now I have my equity card and it was yeah. still hard. Um, and what show was that? Oh, it was My Way, a musical tribute to Frank Sinatra at the um, Finger Lakes, a merry-go-round playhouse. Amazing. Um, it was a four-person cast. And it was like from an equity audition I crashed that I just got lucky enough to get seen. And then I got it. So I do think they're worth it. You know, I think, for anyone listening who's not, you know, who is in the position that I was in, like when you know you're right for something, like keep going, <laughs> keep doing it and insist and be stubborn because I was very stubborn, but that was how I got, it's how I got an agent. It's how I ended up in Wicked, honestly. It's how like so much happened for, was from me just showing up to these auditions before I had access, the access I have now. Right. Um, yeah. So yeah, I got my equity card. It was a four person cast. So I had to get it. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I wanted to get it. I didn't, I, I didn't want to do the non-union route. I know a lot of people do that because they want to build the resume. And I was like, I just, I want insurance. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's different for everyone. And I respect, I think everyone's path is different and I get it. Um, but I personally really just wanted to get my card and join the union. Um, so I did that a year in and then it wasn't for a few years that I actually got representation through a casting director who had recommended me, who had been seeing me at auditions all the time. And then he recommended me to an agency. Oh, that's great. That's yeah. great. Mm -hmm. um, so the journey of auditioning for Wicked, especially um, in early days, I don't know how it is now, but it was always a, a multi-part audition it was sort of like you go in and then you go in again and then you go in for the in in many people's experience was that the experience that you had was it an open equity call at first and or did yeah. you meet the casting director and then they were like you know what maybe you should come in and then you meet the associate and then move on from yeah there. it was um I went to a call for rent um that 
Telsey also passed. Because um, yeah. Rent was running on Broadway then. That is how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> Rent was still on Broadway. Listen, reaching I... reaching the end, okay? Reaching the, like, nearing the end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I went to that audition and Rachel Hoffman, after I sang for her, was like, have you been in for the Wicked Witch of the West? And I was like, no. And then, and she wasn't even, she doesn't work on Wicked, but she works in that office. Yeah. Um, and she, I guess, gave my name to Craig Burns, who does work on Wicked. And like a week or two later, I got a call. Yeah, I didn't have an agent. I got yeah. a call from Telsey setting me up with my first uh, um, Alphaba audition. And then I would go on to have about... 12 to 15 more um, wow it wasn't one like it was like I would make it so far and then not get it and then start all over again and then make it so far and then not get it Craig Burns man like I kept not getting it and he was like I know she's right for it I know she can do this yeah so I'm gonna keep bringing her in until she gets it right <laughs> so uh and it was just in this particular instance uh you had gotten in, you'd been called in, you auditioned for Craig. And then it was like, okay, not, not right for this, this setup. And did you have, you didn't have to go back to square one. You didn't go back to like the, the, the equity call. You were called in again. Yeah. Yeah. Like I had one initial audition for Craig, you know, after Rachel, you know, had uh, obviously passed my information along. I had one initial, a pre-screen, which is just with casting. Yeah. And then after that, and then, and then I was sent to the team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never had to go back to just Craig. Like Craig yeah. knew I could do it. And I think I was young and inexperienced and green, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just wanted it too badly and I would get nervous and I pushed too much. And I think that's just what kept happening. So it was almost this thing of like, I don't think I fully trusted that I could do it, even though I could, but you know, I think that that energy, they can feel that, that nervousness and that feeling of like, so if I think it wasn't until I really actually planted my feet on the ground and really believed that I could do it, that they believed that I could do it. And it took, it took a while. But it was worth it. (laughs) Yeah, it was absolutely worth it. Yeah. I booked Wicked the first time, one of my many um, Wicked contracts, uh, five years after moving to New York. Oh, okay. Yeah. That was Broadway? or that No, was- it was a national, it's the first oh, national right. tour. I was at um, Alphaba Standby. Okay. Yeah. So that contract was what, a year or six months? I extended about three times. They were like nine month contracts. I did two years. Oh, on the road? Um, on the road, yeah. On the road is tough. It is. It was easier than when I was 20 something. Yeah. And making money and like yeah. living my life. Right. It was a good time. And then, you know, you hit a wall. But I mean, especially when you're younger and with something like Wicked, Wicked like sits down in great cities for a long time. So I got mm-hmm. to like spend two months in LA and Chicago and like I had a great time. I met like some of my best friends there. It was it was great. Yeah. No, yeah. I, that's it's if you're going to go on the road, I think going early <laughs> And with a show that sits down is mm-hmm. the way to go because oh, yeah. then you can really put down roots and you can feel what it's like to have a, a daily routine. 
uh, yeah. the, the picking up and going with some of the new contracts, I think is, is more difficult. Uh, it's not yeah. as, not as relaxing, um, yeah. or not, not relaxing, but more difficult to have sort of a steady schedule or a steady. Yeah. You uh, don't get a day off. Your day off is spent traveling. Is your travel day. Yeah. 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 My husband was just did it for a long time. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so when, once you started working, cause I'm always so curious about this because what I, you know, our paths in the uh, our entertainment industry are not linear. So, no. you know, you may have this like, okay, yes, I booked this job, but then that contract ends. Did you go back to rely on some of these, uh, side gigs or side hustles, or did you just go from contract to contract? Right after Wicked, it's been pretty good. Um, can't complain. I did a little bit of, you know, and you're able to save money. So that also kind of gives you a little bit of a cushion yeah. to not be rushed to get immediately back to work. You know, I was, tr I was really trying to be smart with my money though, but yeah, I went in and I babysat, but it was sort of like non-committal mm -hmm. survival gigs, things here and there, but you know, other kinds of contracts were coming up, little workshops and readings. And the jo the thing about Wicked that is wonderful is that when you do that, when you do a show like that and you play a role like that, then you kind of get to really ride that wave of like, you get asked to do concerts where you're just like singing Defying Gravity for people. Like, it's just, oh, wow. it's a really, I mean, I did that. It also like kept me afloat in the pandemic. I like just would like sing Defying Gravity for like corporate parties on Zoom. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I'm like a fancy party clown. Um, <laughs> you no, just but that's literally... right. That does open doors. Yeah. So it, I felt very fortunate and it's still, you know, it's something that, you know, kind of is, it's the gift that keeps on giving in that way. Yeah. Within all of that, because it, it, you know, we, we can look at a show like a, a really great big show like Wicked or um, uh, some of these concerts, but within that roller coaster that is inevitable with this career, what were some of the wins that convinced you to stay on? Uh, like if you were, let's say you had reached a moment where you were sort of burnt out from a, from a gig or mm -hmm. questioning like, uh, where, you know, I, I just finished this contract and yes, there may be another contract in the future, but I'm, I'm gathering you didn't have the same sort of doubt because of how you, it, how you expressed how stubborn you were at the very beginning of your well, don't get me wrong though I've had <laughs> I mean talk to any of my friends I definitely would have like a meltdown and a like I'm never gonna work again and and I'm gonna go to grad school freak out moment I like still get emails from different universities because I've gone down so many rabbit holes where I've been like I quit and I'm gonna do something else yes. and once I start doing that or I've done so many different you know, um, like certifications and stuff just sort of like looking for other things. I've done yeah. that a lot. And I've always been like, if I find something else that I just love just as equally, I'm just gonna, I just need some stability. So it, I, yeah, I don't, I don't want to make it seem like it's just been like, <laughs> I've been coasting because I haven't. Um, no. And, and it's been, and I get, you know, I would get very worked up and sort of like, feel like, I guess the phone's just never going to ring. And I think when you do, it was a very big lesson too. I just thought after doing Wicked, well now like, you know, people are gonna wanna hire me for things. Like I've proven that I can do this thing. And like, honestly, especially when a show has been running that long, 
no one gives a shit. <laughs> like, it helps, sure. But at the same time, like, whatever. How many women at that point had done that role? Had It's just, I, it's interesting with these shows, you know, it's going to change the lives of the people who it's, like, the careers. Like, it changed Adina Menzel's life. Yes. It gave her, but then it's not going to have the same impact for everyone else. It changed my life in a different way, but... Mm-hmm not going to like solidify you as a Broadway star the way it does for the person who originates the role, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think I was a little naive and then I got back and I was like, and now I'm not going to understudy anymore and I'm not going to do this. And I'm, I'm like, no, I've had to humble myself a lot. And you go, and it's what you were saying about a career not being linear. You go from like playing this big role and then, you know, being an ensemble understudy in another show and then yes. or like going back to the survival game like it's just everywhere yeah so but to answer your question I always I would have these freakouts, and then I'd get the one phone call asking me to do a reading or a little thing and then it's the thing that would kind of like pull me back in and keep me back in and be like okay so maybe maybe I am on the right path like oh. maybe it's And that's always what happens. Like every time I'm about to (laughs) try to find something else to do, or I'm just completely, I've hit rock bottom, something pops up. Yeah. Yeah. I I can relate to this on so many different levels. And I think anybody who is listening, who has decided to, you know, maybe they're just graduating from a university or they're just uh you know, they've been going after a career in the arts for, you know, any number of years. What I find so inspiring and reassuring is that as you move through this journey, as you move through this world as an artist, it's inevitable that you will have those moments of like, well, the phone will never ring again. That was fun. And then the despair hits and then you Mm -hmm. sort of, the bottom drops out and you're like, yep, I'm going to, I think accounting is good. Yes, mm-hmm. a, a graduate degree in accounting, that is where I'm going. <laughs> and and then you're like, yes, because I can do this. Or yeah, I well, I like I like yoga. I will I will become a yoga teacher. And and you you start going after things, but with great tenacity. This is the thing that I think is is one of the one of the reasons that we started the podcast is because nobody gives up. Everybody says, okay, I am feeling really uh, adrift and I'm worried and I've got all this anxiety about like, I will never work again. The phone will never ring again. And like you sit in that for a little bit and you're like, but what am I going to do about it? Okay. I'm going to move on. I'm going to, I'm going to go look, go down this rabbit hole for all these graduate programs. I'm going to go back and I'm going to go babysit because I like those kids, you know, and then the phone always, always does ring again for something else and something else comes through and that leads you to the next project. Uh, so yeah. yeah, what I find in your rendition of telling this story so inspiring, and I don't think I'm wrong, and, I, I, and this is a compliment, is that it doesn't end up being about your own ability. It, you never took it as, oh, I am blah, blah, blah. It's like, you were like, okay, well, that was fun. And I am frustrated that the phone isn't ringing, but like, I know I can do this. And and I, I know that I'm good at this. And that it's not in a, 
it's in a very good way, in a very good, solid, confident way about yourself, empowering way about yourself. And I just think that's so important for people to hear that you can still be trained and talented and feel good about the work that you're putting out into the world. And the phone still couldn't ring. And you could still have that moment of like, oh, that feels awful. And then Mm -hmm. you just sort of like find your way through the ick and move through in a different direction. And then eventually like the new path is revealed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely also did. I mean, my really, really big career rock bottom, which we can get into, which was a really big one, um, definitely did lead lead to a lot of of self-doubt. It was like, yeah, that there was a moment where it was like, maybe I'm just not cut out for this. Maybe I'm not what I maybe I'm not meant for what I thought I was meant for or whatever. And it sort of also made me like redefine what it is that what redefine my definition of successful. Uh huh. Um, uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause that's a whole other thing too. Like what yes. is, what do we consider successful? The whole, I hate, I fucking hate, excuse my language. No, you can the swear phrase, all the fuck you want on this. Podcast. Yeah. Like the <laughs> phrase making it when people are like making it, like what the fuck does that mean? No. What, what do you think making it is just, you know, like as being famous is, is have, have we not made it because we're not famous because we're not, you know, recurring, you know, we're not Emmy nominees or Tony nominees. Like, right. what does that mean? What does making So, you know, you also do have to sit with yourself at a certain point and like figure out what, what does success actually mean to you? Yeah. Um, and it's very personal for everyone. Um, and yeah, that has shifted too, like throughout my career and my life. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just like recently, I think somebody referred to me as like an aspiring actress. And I was like, huh. I literally am <laughs> because I'm not famous. You know, it's this thing of like, oh, you're aspiring. And I was like, I'm not aspiring to be famous. I'm aspiring to work. And I right. do. So why am I a spot? Why it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's also just our society and the way they view the way we view what we do, the arts and yeah. how like success is really only if you are in mainstream media. And, and like <laughs> that, those people who are in the mainstream media are, you know, it's top 1%. Let, let's talk about that as far yeah. as like people who are in either actors equity, which is the, as theater actors union to my listeners yeah. who don't know or screen actors guild which sad, is yeah. you know screen and film and uh, voiceover well some voiceover um only in this industry would somebody say to someone who is working in this industry working has a career gets insurance through this career right uh, has a pension through this career would say oh you're aspiring because right. you're not uh, a household name or you haven't had a contract for a few months or or would ask like when do you think you're going to not do this anymore like i oh, yeah. would you ever ask your plumber that would you ever be like right. are you oh you haven't you know, haven't fixed those pipes in a while. So are you an aspiring plumber or right. nobody asked my mom if she was like, you know, still going to keep being a dentist in the pandemic. Like nobody, you know, she wasn't an aspiring dentist when she had to shut her office down for a little bit. I mean, right. and that was something that was fascinating too. I mean, just the number of people who were like, so you have to find something else to do with your life now. 
<laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering, did that, did the pandemic really, a lot, you know, a lot of people left New York City um, and moved far, far away, uh, yeah. self-included, but yeah. did you get a lot of those comments about the pandemic when, you know, Broadway yeah. shut down? Because you yeah, were in the I show, mean, right? During. I know I had just, I had just finished my third round of Wicked. <laughs> um right before the pandemic hit and then I had just done a regional show and then the pandemic hit I was about to go do something else uh-huh. um my husband was touring with come from away at the time oh, but we great. spent we spent a lot of the pandemic in Miami like by coincidence we had always had plans to go down there because he had a vacation coming up and I was about to start a gig so we went down to Miami and then you know the world shut down and we were like well, let's stay here. We have space. We had a place to ourselves. A family member generously let us use an, a vacant apartment. Oh, wow. Which was incredible. <laughs> but then I was in a completely different world. So like the few people I did encounter, it was very much people who just didn't understand what we did. And yeah. it was very much like, well, so now I guess you have to find something else to do. <laughs> wow. And I was like, yeah, because I'm just going to throw away you know, a decades long career. And I mean, I was terrified, don't get me wrong. And did I spiral and look into grad school? Did I take psychology courses and consider? Yes, absolutely. Um, But it was interesting how people just, just were like, well, yeah, I guess that's it then, huh? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I was like, we're not the only people out of work. Are you saying like, so I guess restaurants are just never going to exist again? Like, yeah, nobody's ever going to eat food outside of their own home. (laughs) Like it was, it was really, and I was like, and these are the same people who are like being sustained right now by the arts who are at home watching television. And like, that's what's keep getting them through it. And then they're also not taking arts workers seriously. Yes. Um, And that was infuriating. That is infuriating. Well, it's the not being taken seriously part that I that I I think also inspired this podcast because it's sort of like I I just want to recognize and have everybody hear people's stories about yeah. how it, it's not linear and yeah there are doubts and there are moments of complete the bottom has fallen out and then there are extreme highs as well and. Right. There are moments in our lives when we put our focus to something else. And I love that you said that your definition of success has changed over the years. Like, yeah, same, you know, when you're sitting on that bench for 10 hours a day at 21 years old, you're like, this is it. I, I am, this is what I could do. Like I, the next stop is the Oscars, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, and then cut to years later and you're like, I just, I don't know, something far less glamorous to your 21 year old self, perhaps. Um, But you take a, take stock and everything. You're like, no, this is success to me. I am blah, blah, blah. Right. So, oh man. Uh, Well, I'm glad that you have, you know, faced those demons and sort of said, now we're here. Like this is, we've made it through the pandemic. We've made it through the naysayers. We've made it through the late night forays into our, should I become a psychologist? You know, <laughs> should I go to grad school to become an electrician? Like mm-hmm. uh, all of these things. Uh, where would you, so, cause I, I want to go back for one second. 
right, well, I guess it's not technically after the pandemic because it seems to be never ending, but um, you were in one of the first shows to reopen Broadway. Yeah. In Hades Town. Yeah, in Hades Town. And had you workshopped that? Because I saw it at New York Theater Workshop and it was beautiful. I'm, I'm, it's so funny. I, I saw the show in 2019. I had worked with Rachel Chapkin, the director before on, on yeah. Great Comet and, um, and Amber Gray, who was incredible in Hadestown, um, was also in Comet. And so I went to just like support these people, these artists that I loved and that I admired and respected so deeply. So that was why I went to see it in 2019. And also it, I'd heard so much about it and I was blown away by it. I watched it not thinking like I should be in it. I just really enjoyed it. And I just didn't even think, I love it when I can watch, see theater, not selfishly. Like I just enjoy it. I try to do that. I try not to think about myself because I find that exhausting. Um, I know that we always have that, that part of our brain going, but I really wasn't watching it being like, what could I do in it? I was just like, this is an incredible piece of art. Mm. Never expected to be in it. I've also been involved in another show of Rachel's for a while that's been workshopping and we had a regional run last year. So anyway, I was supposed to do, we were supposed to do that show um, at the, La Jolla. The other show of Rachel. Uh, Lempica. Oh, Lempica. Lempica. Okay. Yeah, this other show. So I had, um, we were supposed to do that in May of 2020. Obviously it didn't happen then. Yeah. So I had just sort of been in Rachel's orbit again, which was wonderful. And then um, Hades Town kind of came up like out of the blue, I sent a tape, I had a call back, I never expected in 2021 to be in a Broadway show with everything that had been going on. And when Broadway was reopening, I just figured like, everyone's gonna take their jobs back. Yeah. Um, but this woman, um, whose track I, I ended up taking over, she was on a maternity leave. So mm-hmm. she she was just having her baby. So she couldn't go back to the show. So um it was sort of a perfect situation where like she was out of the show for a very happy reason. And then I got mm-hmm. to get a, have a job for a while. We were like the first, us and waitress were the first musicals to reopen on Broadway. Yeah. yeah. It was really cool. That must've been very emotional, I think. Yeah. It was really overwhelming. It was really overwhelming and amazing and stressful because I was learning, I was one of two new people to the cast everyone else was original cast and they were all trying to remember this show and I think there was a little bit of trauma for everyone just kind of coming back into this and like what had just happened in the world and for the people who were returning to the show you can't help but think about who you were before all this happened in that same theater you know who you were in that same theater a year and a half ago two years ago a year, a year and, and a half. half. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it had been. Yeah. And suddenly you're back in that same space, but you're a completely different person. So it was a really intense. <laughs> it was yeah. really intense. And it was also just a, a kind of the perfect show to be the perfect story to be telling at the time about people kind of like coming together to get themselves out of hell. Out of Um, hell, (laughs) literally, yeah. Yeah, and the show felt relevant in a completely different way. And I feel very lucky to have been a part of that, yeah. Yeah, it speaks to the power of theater, which I think is when everything was going down at first and arts workers weren't being given 
um, or just during the pandemic and also just in the world in general, when actors are sort of always the ones that are seem to be like superfluous to the to the situation or to the world, uh, you're sort of like, oh, wait a minute. Uh, but isn't this what we need right now? We need the storytellers. We need the people to sort of get to the person in the back row of the audience who doesn't know what they're supposed to be feeling right now, who hasn't seen another live person maybe in a year and a half and who gets to feel this music just course right through them and then feel all of these emotions and hear this story. And then they move through the world in a different way. Yeah. I just think it's really special that, I don't know, that must have been very special to be a part of. Yeah. I mean, just walking on stage, those first few moments were like, it was insane. Probably like the closest I'll ever feel to feeling like a rock star. Like you're like, what is happening? (laughs) But it was so special because you could just feel like the gratitude and the relief. I mean, just the fact that everyone in that building was just so happy to be there and everyone had wondered when would we ever get to do that again and right to meet in that moment with no cell phones with nothing but just present moment um it was really cool oh that's yeah. amazing i want to go back for a second i want to talk about this for a moment you originated a role uh in the show prince of broadway and yeah. that brought you to Japan, first of all. How was Japan? Japan is amazing. I'm obsessed with Japan. Obsessed. I am dying to go back. It was incredible. Um, Japan is an amazing country. The people are so wonderful and so kind and so respectful of one another and of their surroundings. And I feel like we can learn so much about, um, we can learn so much from them. Yes. And audience members were so respectful. Like all of it was just mind blowing. And there's such attention to detail and such care in everything you do and like such integrity. Um, Mm -hmm. I loved it there. I loved it. Their devotion to craftsmanship blows my mind. I know through my boyfriend that there's a pizza maker there, for example, a Japanese pizza maker, but he makes the best pizza because he went to Italy to study how to make pizza the correct way for like years and then yeah. brought the, then brought the craftsmanship back. Um, so you were in Tokyo. Tokyo and Osaka. Oh, and Osaka. Oh. Which was amazing. We got to do Tokyo and then my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, came to visit like we had a few days off in between Tokyo and Osaka, which was amazing because then we got to explore Kyoto oh, and wow. other parts of Japan. So he came out and visited. I mean, it was magical. It was amazing. It was a few months. I was there like October through the end of the end of December. Um, oh, wow. Oh, so a few Yeah, months. it was a long time. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So you originate yeah. this role. And, you know, for anybody who's listening, I'm I'm going to guess that that included a number of rounds of auditions, many, many pages of songs and scenes to learn and to audition for, and then a workshop and then a reading. And then you get cast and you go to originate this role and you tour around in the most magical place in the world yeah, with the promise of this uh, going to Broadway, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the whole plan was, and like for people who don't know, Prince of Broadway was a 
basically a career retrospective about the career of Hal Prince. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was like, I, I, they, they didn't like to use the, to, to say music review, but it was just, you know, a journey through the career of Hal Prince through the, the, the shows he's directed and, and produced. Um, yeah. So a, the honor of working with Hal Prince, um, amazing and susan stroman and jason robert brown was music supervisor and did arrangements it was like a wild musical theater every day felt like a musical theater fever dream like i was like what am i doing here (laughs) Um, and getting to sing you know my track sang music from evita and Mm -hmm. just these iconic roles and i'm doing that you know with the man who shaped these shows it was um pretty incredible and yeah the plan was always to to come back to new york and do it here you know and I felt great about everything and got you know felt really good about the feedback I got but you know this business is 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 unpredictable and hard (laughs) right so I mean I'm wondering if if you wouldn't if you wouldn't mind me being so bold like do you think that um this story or the way that this worked out at the time was one of those pivotal moments of despair within this career when you were like ah Yeah. 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 I mean, tell us what happened. Yeah. Yeah, So, and just to to backtrack a little bit, um, at this point I had been in New York when I booked Prince of Broadway, I'd been in New York 10 years. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I booked Prince of Broadway, it was like, I was just like on a really good streak. I'd been offered two other (laughs) shows that were going to Broadway. Yep. But I turned Hopefully them down. So. <laughs> yeah, you I heard Marianne sing. Yes, and I hadn't. So. I had yet, and I guess I'll, I'll. I hadn't made my Broadway debut yet. And ten right. years in, I started to feel like I had, like so many people I knew at that point had been on Broadway and done the thing. And yes, I'd done Wicked, but it was on tour. You know, you just like want that that credit, that thing. And I- um, but I made the decision to you know turn those things down and do Prince of Broadway because I had this opportunity to work with these legends. So of course, of course I did it. And then the following year, the following spring, I got an email um, informing me that the show was that Prince of Broadway was going to be going to Broadway that that fall, but I would not be going with it. Um, And no clear reason was given. Oh, my God. And I'll never really know. (laughs) Right. And 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 somebody from the team reached out. And was like, you know, you're missed. And, you know, I, you kind of, if you ever want to know, you know, just let it, let me know. And I will, um, you know, we can have coffee. And I was like, why? Like, it's fine. I just yeah. didn't want to agonize over it. But that was really bad. That was really hard. <laughs> so I kind of, and again, my agents are wonderful. And we're like, take all the time you need if you need a moment whatever you need to do. And I, I actually went on a retreat. I had, I had my um, yoga certification, my yoga teacher training certification. And I I went, yes. And I, it's so funny. I started teaching and then that was when I got Prince of Broadway and all this other stuff. So like, I never really got to teach very much. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, let me like just further my education. So I went away for like a few months and, um, got further teacher training education. And then, yeah, I just really hit a wall where I was like, maybe I don't belong. Like Uh I was given this opportunity, 
that I always thought, you know, I, all I need is the opportunity. And then I was given it and maybe I just fell short. Like maybe I just couldn't, maybe Uh. this, maybe this wasn't the thing I'm meant to be doing. Um, because I was, uh, you know, we always say, you know, if you're just given the chance, if you're just really easy to deal when it's not, when it's their fault, when it's just that you're not given the opportunity. Right. But it's really hard when you are. And I hate to place blame and be like, it was my fault. I don't know what the fuck happened. It's right. political. I mean, I was also the only person in the cast that went to Japan that had not been on Broadway. Yeah. And I think there was a thing about like bringing that show with Broadway names to yeah. New York. And so who knows? That's me like assuming. But it's really hard to face it when you're like, well, I was given the opportunity. And I guess I didn't measure. I up. didn't. I didn't measure up. Oh, and I, I here I was really thinking I had the audacity, like I really having the audacity to think I belonged on stage with these stars. Mm. And maybe I didn't. Um, and that was really, really, really hard. Yeah. And it took a very, very big, it, it was a very big blow to my self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and then, <laughs> so yeah, I went away for the summer. I kind of disappeared and was really just trying to figure out what, what I was going to do next or what I wanted to do. And then got an audition from my agent um and it was for in transit and then that fall i made my broadway debut <laughs> in in transit in in transit that's yeah. amazing right and then i know the it's time, yeah it's almost like uh you let it go and then the right the right opportunity came in after that yeah. but it's still so it's still so heartbreaking because you oh, just yeah. you're not given the the you know the quarterly review. You're not given the the right. answer most right. of the time. And then you immediately go to, well, I have been if I can only get past the gatekeepers, if I can only get past the casting associates, if I can only get and then here you are and then it's still at that moment you must have had that you were like, I think teaching yoga is the way to go or, or something else. Or something Um, else. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea. I went to yoga because I knew that it helped me as a human. Like I, I like just my practice was helpful for me. I wasn't sure that I was meant to teach, but I was like, maybe I, I am, I don't know. I just have to like find my center. I, I just didn't, I felt very lost. And it was so jarring because it literally just went from like the highest high, like the highest career, the, this one, the same project was like the career high, like this incredible experience. I mean, we got back from Japan and Hal had a, had a holiday party Mm -hmm. and like we were sitting around the piano with Steven Sondheim playing Sunday, like, yeah. (laughs) yes and then like to go from that where you're like in this room and I'm like how did I even get here like holy shit this is what we all dream about not specifically this but like these are the and and so to go from that to like I am not good enough (laughs) yes because of the same project um 
it was wild. And now, you know, now I look back and I think about the other opportunities that came along and it all makes sense. And yeah. I'm still, you know, there was a moment after where I couldn't even talk about it. And um, I had like put away all the like all the stuff I'd gotten from the show and the show posters and I couldn't even look at it right and now. We're, we're just past it and I'm OK. And I do think that my life was supposed to unfold a different way and other job opportunities came and it was fine. And by the time Prince of Broadway opened on Broadway, I was doing my second Broadway show. Right. So like, oh my God. it was just meant to happen how it happened. <laughs> and I still, nobody can take away the experience I had, you know, in Japan and, and getting to work with a legend and yeah. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Where are you now? Like, what are you heading into next? Um, is your focus, where's your focus professionally and um, that kind of thing? Well, like, is Lempika coming back? Well, that's, you know, that's, oh, that's something we're holding out hope for, for the yeah. fall. But my priority is definitely in um, my personal life. I am pregnant. I'm seven months pregnant. Oh my gosh. Congratulations. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> So that's kind of where my brain's at right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and it's really nice to just throw myself into this and just worry about uh, my baby and my family and I don't know, to like worry about something else. Um, and yes. I'm very excited. And this was its own difficult journey. So I'm just really happy to be here. Yeah. And um just really going to focus on that. And I'm very lucky. I have amazing agents who are so understanding of that and like, mm. are like, girl, like you do you <laughs> take all the time you need. Right. <laughs> Let us, you know, they're always like, we'll run things by you, but like, you know, and yes, is there like a little nagging fear in me every now and then that's like, am I ever going to work again? Like I still would love to go back to work when it's time. Yeah. Um, but I'm really just trying to be here and in this moment that was yeah. also difficult to achieve and enjoy it and appreciate it. And the rest will unfold as it as will, it, as, as, it as, it to, right. as it's supposed to. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, like the phone always rings and something will always come up. But right now, for the first time in my adult life, like. Let's just shift our focus. <laughs> it redefines, it's once again redefining your definition of success. Yep. Yep. Oh. 100%. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. I just, yeah, this is my priority. And then in terms of work, like I want to be able to just, you know, have my family and, you know, help support us and do what I love. And, but, my my priorities have definitely shifted and yeah. it's really nice yeah yeah oh that's wonderful well I usually yeah. ask my guests if they are going to travel anywhere next <laughs> um I'm not sure if that pertains to you but are you uh or you and your husband or are you solo going anywhere soon we will be traveling to the home goods because we are furnishing a house <laughs> we're traveling 
We're traveling to Target (laughs) (laughs) and home goods. (laughs) Yeah, there's no, I mean, we've also spent the last few years because my husband was on the road up until October of last year. Um, We've spent so much time traveling. Yeah. So you're, um, you're setting, you're nesting. So you're we're just, ne- yes, we're nesting and it's really nice. I mean, we've been traveling for work since the, we got married in 2018 and both went on the road that year. I in remember different shows. That. Yeah. yeah. So I'm really happy to just sit in a house and like have dinner at, you know, seven o'clock when, you know, I would usually be going to do a show yeah. and, um, yeah, no traveling for now. People can come to us. <laughs> <laughs> and if you come to visit Marianne, you should bring a gift card to Home Goods. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> or Target. <laughs> I could talk to you for hours. I just <laughs> think that I mean it when I say that my jaw always dropped to the floor whenever I heard you sing in class or I saw you in In Transit. Um, and I was reminded of it when I was, I've definitely seen a lot of the YouTube videos. I'm so thrilled that stubborn 18-year-old Marianne said, no, this is what I'm going to do, that you stuck by her and that you decided that, no, this is what I'm going to do because we never know what's going to happen next, but like your voice and your presence on stage is such a gift. So I'm so glad Thank that you, you take the time you so to talk much. to me. And <laughs> I hope to see you again in person someday. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is so fun. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. This podcast was created and produced by Heather Corrigan and Robin Lai. We would like to thank our guest, Marianne Torres, for joining us today. This episode was directed by Robin Lai with assistance from content editor Neve McAuliffe. Post-production by JMM Latom and mastered by Jen Grossman and Clint Rhodes. Special thanks to Boom Integrated and Adrian Glover. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and share it with all of your friends. Tune in next week as we bring you more women's stories that are totally badass and dramatic. Dramatic.